Please turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to be reading the section that we've been um, meditating and focusing on over the last uh, several weeks, and that is uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. After today, we will uh, then move on, Lord willing, to verse 17 and following, which is really another, another section. So I want to finish up this section today with um, that we have. So I'm going to read it. I'm going to read first uh, Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16, and then we're going to look at a couple other chapters as well today. But just follow along and listen to the Word of God and try to sort of remember where we've been and, and hopefully as we read it this time, it's going to be more, you're going to be more in touch with what's being said here and things will resonate with you. <clears throat> Ephesians 4.1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended to the lower parts of the earth. He who first descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which each part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Let's pray. Father, please be with us now, we ask, as we kind of sort of conclude this section of your word and as we try to apply it basically to ourselves. We pray, Father, that you would please be with us. And Father, as we look out upon this world and we see the culture that we live in decaying and, and going in a very bad direction, we also recognize that you are also developing a countercultural people, a people that are not to be a part of this culture in one sense, a people who are to transcend it. And Father, we just ask and pray that you would help us. Even in this body of believers here, you would help us, we pray, to be that beacon of light, to be that city on a hill, to be 
that people that you have called us to be salt to this, this, this generation. And we pray that you will help us all to do our part. And we pray that you would glorify yourself through your church and that you would be exalted in all that takes place, even in our lives in this place, practically day by day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Dominic uh, encouraged me to listen to a podcast where uh, a man named Sinclair Ferguson, whom Dom knows has deeply impacted my life, was being interviewed. And Sinclair said something that really made me think uh, for ever since I, I heard it there. And he was talking about how pastors today uh, spend a lot of their time on their computers and how some of them do blogs and how they'll get a thought and then they'll spend an hour writing this thought out in this blog and sending it out into the blogosphere for the whole world to be amazed at their insight and understanding. And Sinclair said, you know, for every hour, he says, for a pastor who writes a blog that no one asked him to write, to give an opinion which he somehow thinks the whole world needs to see, for every pastor who spends an hour to do that, I can't help thinking there was another elderly widow in his church that wasn't visited. And I thought that that was an extremely insightful uh, thing, but I also thought that it helped us to sort of think clearly about what it means to be the body of Christ. What are we supposed to be about? What are we supposed to be doing? And that's really what the Apostle Paul has been preaching on uh, and writing to the Ephesians, I'm sorry, about. And so what I want to do today is I kind of want to uh, conclude this uh, that we have here uh, today. And I didn't, bring, I didn't bring my hand up, but in your bulletin. So let me put it this way. I'm going to actually, this sermon's going to kind of be an extended application, and I'm going to ask six questions and answer them. And I'm going to give, and the six questions are actually in your bulletin, okay? So if you wanted to, uh, we're, and it's actually in the discussion question area there, you'll actually see them there, but it, I know some of you like to take notes, and I'm about to give you these six questions, and I don't want you to feverishly be writing, because it's right there in the, in the bulletin for you. And it's, these are the, this is where we're going to go. How is the body of Christ described in Scripture? Some of these are going to be a review. What is the purpose or goal of Christ's body? What are the dynamics of the body? What are the gifts which each of us are given? How can I identify my role and gifts? And then finally, it's a two-part question, how can this be short-circuited and how can that be avoided, okay? And so that's where we're going to go. And so I'm just going to simply work through these questions. We're going to search the scriptures and, and such. We don't have time for each one of them, a lot of time for each one of them. But uh, this is where we're going to go. So, and, and I want to do, like I said, by way of some of it review and some of it adding on and, and applying where we've been so far. So how is the body of Christ described in scripture? What's actually described, I think a word that could sort of capture this better is the word synergy. Synergy. And we're going to put that up, I believe. There we go. The word synergy. And the word means the interaction of two or more agents or forces so that their combined effect is greater than the sum of their individual effects. 
you take these, these several things and you, you sort of combine them together and each of them combined makes a, a, a greater energy. Synergy comes from that idea and actually comes from two Greek words, which is soon, which means together, and ergos, which means work or energy to produce work. And so synergy is this, this coming together. How is the body of Christ described in, in, in Scripture? It's a synergy in which, in which energy exists and, and power exists between the exalted Christ as head and his body that he is in union with and connected with as we studied the union with Christ. He is in union with and energy flows from him back and forth. He is, his power comes from the fact that he is the risen Savior. In Ephesians 1, Paul writes about this idea which he says, look at E120, in which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also in the age to come. So there's majesty and glory above all and power above every power, every dominion and every authority. And then look at verse 22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head of all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And we studied that, that there is this union and Christ is exalted as head. He has all power and authority. And that power and authority is in union with the body, which is, which is his body. And then look at chapter 4 and verses 15 and 16. This is what we looked at last week. 15 and 16, where it says this, and, and, and I tried to ex explain this sort of synergism there. It says this, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. So you remember truthing, truthing one another in love. We grow up into all things into him. So we grow up into the head, which is Christ. But then notice how it, it kind of reverses. The energy flow reverses. And it says, verse 16, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by which every joint uh, supplies according to the effective working by which each part does its share causes growth to the body. So there's this synergism. There's this energy. There's Christ and his power and his power flows through his body and into his body and through the various parts of his body to each one of us. And then there is this growth and this glory and this such that we are in touch with Christ and it goes back and forth. The, the body grows, brings glory to Christ the body grows into the stature of Christ. Christ gives the power. The body is connected. We all have the spirit. We're connected to one another. And so there's a synergy of one another, this synergy united, this synergy with Christ, this synergy with him. And that's how the body of Christ is described. Now, notice here then uh, the second question. What is the purpose or goal of the body of Christ? Why did God set this up this way? Why didn't Jesus just go to heaven and, and, and proclaim the gospel and, and, and leave it? Why this union? Why this body? Well, there's a lot to that, and we've been spending the last year and a half studying that in terms of Ephesians. But here in chapter 4, what is the purpose of this, of this body, this united body, this synergy? And the answer is, look at verse 12. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edification of the body of Christ. To build up the body of Christ. That's part of what the, the purpose of the body of Christ is. To actually build itself up. Christ builds up the body through the body. 
And look at verse 13. Till we come to, and that actually it could be better translated, till we arrive at. In other words, we are on this journey. We are on this intentional journey with a specific destination. And the destination is to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, unity, oneness, and to a perfect man, to a mature man, to the measure of the fullness of the, of the, of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We are on a journey, interconnected, as the body of Christ. Its purpose is to edify itself, to strengthen itself, to build itself up, and to do that uh, with a view toward oneness and maturity. Oneness and maturity. Oneness and maturity. So that's the purpose of the body of Christ. Now, what are the dynamics of the body of Christ? In other words, how does this actually practically work out? And to that, I want us to look at a very uh, uh, passage that, that opens this up probably and makes it the, crystal clear to all of us, and that's 1 Corinthians 12. Please turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12. <clears throat> Paul opens up the body of Christ as, as the dynamics of what the body of Christ is, how the body of Christ is uh, together. He opens it up in this passage. Now, I want, to, I want to kind of give you a heads up and so that you'll be looking for it when you read the Bible. It is extremely important, as God has revealed this in his word, it is extremely important for us to understand that the emphasis of the body of Christ is unity and diversity. And diversity and unity, and through those two dynamics, unity and diversity, diversity and unity, God is, it, that's, that's what it makes up the body of Christ. Now notice, watch that in this text. For instance, watch where Paul begins and how he describes that. Well, I'll start at verse, um, verse four. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There's diversity and unity right there in that verse. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. So there's this idea that it's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. That's how Ephesians 4 puts it. And yet there's these diversities. But then look at verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Here's the purpose of this diversity and unity. In this diversity, God has manifested gifts and, and, and the Spirit to each one. He's given each of us a manifestation of the Spirit. And that manifestation of the Spirit is for the purpose of the profit of the building up of all. It's for all. It's not for us. It's for all. That's what has been given. Look at verse 11. But one in the same Spirit, there's unity, works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. The sovereign spirit works within the body, giving gifts to each one, and these gifts are to be ministered to each other for the profit and the building up of all. So then Paul describes some of these dynamics and uh, passage I'm, I hope that you're very familiar with, but let's just read it through. For as the body is one... And has many members, there's unity and diversity, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. <laughs> Emphasizing all these members, one body, one body, many, yeah, but one body. He's just, he's just going back and forth. He wants to tie together both unity and diversity. You see, because our diversity can divide us. 
Our diversity can divide us, and that's what he wants to be careful not to have happen. Our diversity is to unite us, because he kind of develops that dynamic here in just a little bit. Look at verse 13. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, unity, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. We are one. We all have the same spirit. Whether we're Jew, whether we're Greek, whether we're slave, whether we're free, we're united in one. The same Holy Spirit lives in me, lives in you. We're united. We're all one. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. We're one. We're moving toward oneness. This is all important for the Apostle Paul. Unity. But there's also diversity. Look at verse 14. For in fact, the body is not one member, though, but many, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, it is, is it therefore not of the body? In other words, if the foot doesn't like its place where the Spirit has sovereignly placed it, the gifts the Spirit has sovereignly given it, the place that God has placed it in, if this foot rebels against that and doesn't like that and doesn't embrace that, it doesn't make any less part of the body. It's just not functioning. It's, it's not a happy part of the body, but it's still part of the body. Verse 16, and if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? So you see, we need diversity in the midst of unity. But now God has set the members, each of them, in the body just as he pleased. Foot, you're a foot. Eye, you're an eye. Ear, you're an ear, and we need each one of you, are your parts, Paul, as it were. We need each one of them. The body needs each one. The body can't be one big foot. can't be one big eye. Verse 19. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now, indeed, there are many members, yet one body. Diversity, unity. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those body, members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body but that the members should have the same care for one another. What is he getting at here? Think of the eye. Think of the eye. The eye is so delicate. Think of the eyelashes. Think of the eyelashes. Guys, we don't think of our eyelashes, but the women, some, here, some women here do. They think of their eyelashes. They, they, may, even, they may even do stuff to their eyelashes. But, but an eyelash is actually extremely important. An eyelash protects the eye and defends you. Think of the hand. Think of the hand. The hand doesn't need a lot of protection. The hand's out there, man. He's out there doing his thing. But he'll protect the eye. He'll, he'll protect the eye. And that's what Paul is trying to say here. He's saying that, that the weaker, the stronger members protect the weaker member. If you've ever seen soccer players, I'm not going to do it, but if you've ever seen soccer players trying to defend the goal, you know, they're defending the weaker members of their body. And the, and the private parts, Paul says, the private parts of our body, we actually clothe with greater modesty. We treat our private parts with clothing. We cover them with clothing uh, for modesty. And what he's, Paul is saying here is, is that the stronger take care of the weaker. And yet the weaker have a place and they have great honor in, in, in that way. 
we, we, would, we put sunglasses on so that we don't get too much glare within our, with the thing. We put, we put sunscreen on, you know, and, and that. We, 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 put, we, clothe, we protect. But who protects the hand? Who protects the thumb, man? And the thumb's one of the most important things that you have. You can't pick up without the thumb. But he's just out there doing his thing. Nobody protects him, but he protects us. And that's what Paul is getting at here, this dynamic, this dynamic that should be going on. And that's why, look what he says in verse 26. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all our members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And so what Paul is saying here is that we have each been given a gift. We have each been placed in the body. We are sovereignly here for a reason. So let's apply this very dramatic, very uh, uh, practically to every single person here in this room. We all need to recognize, you and I need to recognize, and I'll, use, I'll, I'll, speak, I'll speak to you in this way just to try to make it, make it clear, but I'm speaking to myself too. We need to recon, you need to recognize that you have been sovereignly placed here by God in this local expression of the body of Christ for a reason. If you are a member here, you've taken membership in this church, you've committed yourself to this church, you have been sovereignly placed by God in this church for a reason. God has put you here and God has gifted you and God has put you here for a reason and a purpose. He has put you here to help this entire body to do your part to help this entire body to attain the goal of Ephesians 4, which is unity of the faith and maturity to edify and to build up this body. That's why God has put you here. That's why you're here. You may not have thought of it that way. You might have thought, hey, you know, I, I like this church. I, I, I like these people. I'm, I'm, I'm fed here. I'm growing here. I like being part of it. Hey, I just want to join. I'm going to be a part of it. Now I join. Now I'm a part of it. Now I come here. But you may not have thought that God actually had a plan and he sovereignly brought you here for a reason because your unique you and the gifts and such that you bring to this body, this body needs. It needs you just like your body needs all of the individual organs and bones and ligaments and tendons and everything it is in it. each one of them. This body needs you as well. And what I want to urge us to do in light of what the scriptures teaches is to embrace that. Embrace that and say, wait a minute, this is, I'm here for a reason. And find out what that reason is. Find out what your gifts are. Find out what role God wants you to have in this church. Find out why God has you here at this time. What are your gifts? What is your ministry? How are you moving us? How are you doing your part to move us to a unity and maturity and to the edification that Paul wants? You should, uh, that God wants, and he's expressed it through Paul. You should, you know, and I should be saying to ourselves, I have been created by God as a human being. I have been saved by the blood of Christ. I have been placed in a local body of believers to advance God's kingdom and the glory of God on the earth. This isn't about me. It's not about me. It's not about you. Individually, about you being saved, me being saved, me going to heaven. It's way more than that. It is that, but it's way more than that. We have been placed to make sure and put in this body, we have been created, saved, 
attached to this body for the purpose that our little job is this little body of believers here on earth right now. God may move you to another church. Then you got to figure out your place there. But God has put us here sovereignly in this place and our huge concern should be, is this local body of believers growing in oneness, growing in maturity, being edified and built up, growing to the full stature of Christ, to the glory of God, to the advancement of God's kingdom in this world. That should be our concern. Now, do you see what's going on here? It's sort of a Copernican revolution. The Copernican revolution was the, it was the belief that God was in the cent, I mean, the earth was the center of the universe and the sun and all of the planets went around the earth. And Copernicus in the Copernican revolution said, wait a minute, that doesn't fit with what I'm watching through my telescope. This doesn't fit. What fits is the sun is the center of our solar system and the earth and all of that. In other words, the center of the entire solar system shifted from the earth to the sun. That's a Copernican revolution. And what the Bible is telling us here is a Copernican revolution. This isn't all about me. This church isn't here for me. If I'm sitting here in the pew right now, this church isn't here just to take care of me and bless me and this. I'm here for him and for his glory, and for the advancement of his kingdom, and for the health and edification of the church in my generation in 2024, at this time, in Mercer County, in West Salem Township, and in this group of people, that's my calling in life. Dear friends, that's not my, just my calling. That's our calling. That's what the word of God says. That's our calling. And we need to find out and embrace what role God has for us in our lives. What role? And then we need to develop those gifts. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is writing to young Timothy, and listen to how he brings this to Timothy's awareness. He says, Timothy was a young man, and he begins by saying this, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Now notice in this verse, Paul is telling Timothy to be an example. Part of, part of his calling is, let other people look at you and pattern their lives after you because you are a model of these things. That's one of the ministries that people can have building up the church, just being mature Christians. Verse 13, he says this, till I come, give attention, pay attention, do, do the work to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Timothy was, was, was one of the leaders there, and this is actually to the Ephesian church, believe it or not. Verse 14, do not neglect the gift that is in you. Now, Timothy, he says, Timothy, you have a gift. Don't neglect that gift, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on hands of the eldership. Then he says this in verse 15. Meditate on these things. Think about what I'm telling you here, Timothy. Give yourself entirely to them. Embrace your calling and be the best you can be at it that your progress may be evident to all. Timothy, figure out your gifts, embrace it, develop it, make an impact in people's lives. Now, Timothy struggled with this. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6, a second letter to Timothy, Paul writes this, therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, you need to, you need to embrace these gifts. You need to develop them. And that's what I'm saying. In order for us to be a healthy body, every single part of it needs to be healthy. Every single part of it. 
Jan and I had this uh, illustrated for us when we were in seminary. When we were in seminary, we said we tried to find a church, and somebody said, you need to go to this church. The preaching is excellent. And it was. It was wonderful preaching. It was biblical. It was sound. Uh, the preacher was a great preacher. It was great. So Jan and I, and, and we had a little one-year-old Paul at that point. We're, we're, we're fresh out of western Pennsylvania. We're in New England. Don't know anybody. We're in set, big seminary, you know, making friends and everything. And we go to this church, and we go to this church, and we're being fed. We're being fed. We're being fed. We're being fed. But then we realized we had been at that church for many months, nine or nine seven. We never met another person. Everybody got the great preaching. They got up and they walked out the door. Nobody ever invited us to dinner. Nobody ever invited us. Nobody, not, we never met another person there. And we were just getting hungry for fellowship. And so we found a little Baptist church down the road from us. The preaching stunk. I'm going to tell you this right now. The preaching stunk, okay? And he, the, the, the pastor, was, was, he just wasn't a good preacher. The first day we walked into that, that church, we were invited to dinner three different families. I got involved in a Bible study. Jan got involved in a Bible study. We started making friends. We had family. And when we came, it was about a year later when we were moving back to Pennsylvania and we came, it came time to move. Those, all of our friends from that little Baptist church, they, they all came and they helped us move. We got in the car. Now we have two children. We're driving away from Gloucester, Massachusetts, and we're crying like babies. Because we were so connected to this body of believers. And dear ones, it was because it was a body of believers. It wasn't just a preaching station where somebody was preaching. And so, dear ones, we need to, we need, it, it, uh, the body is to be healthy. If the body is to be healthy, every part of the body has to be healthy. If my liver or my kidneys or some part of my body begins to become unhealthy, my whole body is affected by it. But if my body, all of the parts are healthy, I'm healthy. And this is the synergism that needs to take place with a healthy body, with each of the parts doing its part. So then that, says, that leads us to the next question. Well, what are, what are the gifts then? What are the gifts? And to answer this, I want to say this. There are some specific gifts that are listed at times in the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 12 has some of them. This was during the apostolic era where the, some of the miraculous gifts were involved. And then we saw in, in, in Ephesians 4, Paul lists apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. He lists the gifts there. But I, I want to urge you, please turn with me to Romans 12, but I want to urge you to... Um, I want to I urge you to be careful how you think about this because I think that our some of our other evangelical brethren have, have not helped us in this. A lot of the teaching here is not particularly helpful. In fact, some of you may have found, have gone through this at times in your life where you'll go into a church or, or you'll be in a Bible study and everybody say, we're going to study spiritual gifts. And uh, so we're going to list all the spiritual gifts. And we're going to put them out there. And we want you to, you go through and you tell us which one of these gifts you have. And they'll have these lists. And where they get these lists is they go through the passages of Scripture, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and the other passage of Scripture where Paul talks about gifts. And they'll just simply write down the gifts that Paul mentions there. And then you look at that get list and you have to somehow figure out how you can jam yourself like Play-Doh into one of those little molds. And you start to really, and, and, and many times people find this frustrating, and they should, because that's not a, a proper way of doing this, okay? In other words, these lists that Paul gives, they're not exhaustive at all. They're, they're, they're just suggestive of, 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 of some of the gifts, the gifts and what it would be to be out there. 
And so that's why I wanted to turn us to Romans 12, because here Paul does this slightly different. I want to just try to help you to understand what, what, are, what does he mean? What do we talk about when each part of the body has its role and has its place? So look in Romans chapter 3, I'm sorry, chapter 12, and look at verse 3. For I say through the grace given to me that everyone who is among you ought not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt with each one a measure of faith. So each of us have our part and we need to be humble about that. For as we have many members in one body, unity and diversity, but all of the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Unity, diversity, and yet interconnected as the body of Christ. Having then gifts differing according to the grace which is given to us. Each one of us has been given grace. We've been given something to edify the body with. Let us use them. He begins with prophecy. If prophecy, and please, when you look at New Testament prophecy, don't think, even Old Testament prophecy, just read the Old Testament prophets and get a sense of prophecy. Prophecy is not fortune-telling. Prophecy is, uh, is the opening up of the Word of God with, with, with power and application and such like that. So he says, if, with prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Then notice the next one that he says in verse 7. If, or ministry. Now, that is the word diakonia. Again, this is what Paul talked about, uh, equipped for the work of the ministry, the diakonia. Diakonia comes from the Greek word diakonos, and a diakonos was literally a waiter. He was a waiter. He had an apron around him. And the word actually comes, like I said last week, from stirring up dust. What, what, it was literally from when you said to the waiter, I'd like this, 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 and this. Now be off with you, man. Go get it. And, and, the, and the servant would run and he would stir up dust. And that's how the word diakonos became to me. But the word means service, serving, serving. He who serves, Paul says. That's the next gift. He just used this vague word. He who serves, let, him use, let us use it in our ministering, in our serving. He who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts, and here exhorts, doesn't that sound like yelling at you? That's not what exhort is. Exhorting, actually, the word could be translated encouraging. He who has the, the gift of encouraging. Paul was, uh, Barnabas was called the son of encouragement. He who has somebody who's encouraging, encourage them, give, encourage each other. Or, or gives, he who gives. Some people have, have, have abundance and they can give. Let him give liberally. Let him give generously. He who leads. Some people have the unique gift of get, getting people organized and getting stuff done. He who leads, he says, do it with diligence. He who shows mercy. Some people have tender, merciful hearts and they, they can pick out needs and they can go and meet them and they do acts of kindness. And he says, go, go, do when you, those of you who have this gift, do it cheerfully, do it cheerfully. So you see what he's saying here? You see what's going on here? See how much more vaguer this is? And that's why I would like to suggest this. Instead of sitting around saying, okay, what is my gift? Give me a list. Where do I fit on that list? And you can't quite find yourself on that list, those lists. I would suggest that what we should really be asking this question is this. How can I serve this body? How can I serve this body? Or, to put it another way, who can I serve in this body? 
How can I help this body reach its goal of edification? How can I edify this body? How can I build this body up? How can I move this body in its journey to oneness and maturity? How can I do that? What, what, that would be the better question to ask. So then that leads us to our next question. How can I identify my role or my gifts? And I'll, I'll give you some suggestions. I'll give you three of them. Number one, what areas of service am I drawn to? Ask yourself this question. What areas of service am I drawn to? What areas, when, when a need comes up, am I, hey, I, I, I could do that, or I could help in that way. What areas of service am I, am I drawn to? When people's needs are mentioned, how could I, am I drawn to those needs? For instance, children, children. We have a need to help and minister to children. Now, some of you would be drawn to that because you're drawn to children. Where, where some would see chaos and, and loudness and, and, and gooey bodily fluids leaking, uh, you would see cuteness and sweetness and have a heart and want to just be there among them and, and lead them to Jesus and, and minister to them. That would, be, that would be one of the reasons then that God puts you in this body. Think of, on the other hand, elderly people, elderly people. Where some of, uh, some of you may feel, I, I feel uncomfortable around an elder. Others may feel drawn to that. And when, when, I, when I was up at St. Paul's and I was watching some of these staff people, they were such amazingly gifted people. They were drawn. They, they loved the elderly. They loved to be with the elderly. And they would hear something for the 10th time that day. And they would treat the person with such respect and love as it was the first time that they ever told them, oh, really, is that true? That's what you were. Uh, back in the day, and such. And, and so you would say, well, wait a minute, if you're drawn to that. Some people are drawn to hands-on things. We need guys to cut wood. I can do that. I can do that. Others are more relationally drawn. We need somebody to, I can do that. I would be like to, like to be a part of that. What are you drawn to? What acts of service are you drawn to? What needs in the body are you drawn to? Secondly, what do I have a facility for? What do I have a facility for? What I mean by that is, what, when I attempt to do something, what comes easier for me than something else? Again, let's go back to children. Somebody could be amongst children and they're like, whoa, whoa, yikes, yikes. Oh, this makes me nervous. I'm not comfortable here. Others just get in there and pick these kids up and they're like, joke with them, laugh with them, teach them. Uh, they have a Sunday school class where all kinds of people are moving around and it's all kinds of craziness and yet somehow they present the gospel they, 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 and they're comfortable there. They, they, they have a facility. Somehow they can capture their attention. Somehow they can keep them organized and they can do that. What do you have a facility for? What does the Holy Spirit knit you together as a person who's good at this? You, you, you're, you're, you, you have a sense that God has helped. Or it may be a new gift that the Holy Spirit has given you, and you actually surprise yourself. I have met people who say, I would have never thought that God called me to work in this kind, or do this kind of ministry, or be involved in this way. And God has led me to this, and, and I, I find a real drawn to it, and I find a facility for it. And that's a Holy Spirit gift. God has gifted you and helped you to do this. And then thirdly, I would just simply say, lovingly look around and start serving. Start serving. And the Holy Spirit will identify needs to you. Is somebody lonely? Somebody overwhelmed? Is somebody struggling to grow in their faith? Is somebody overcome by temptation? 
The Bible says older women, older women. You're supposed to be teaching the younger women. You're supposed to be drawing from all of that experience that you have in life and teaching and helping these younger women as they seek to, 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 to work through, walk through the same pilgrimage that you have already walked through. You're supposed to help to guide them through that. Think of, think of look around lovingly and look, well, especially in this church right now, look at all these moms and dads too. But look at these moms and look at them come rolling in here and where you and I had to get one person ready, they had to get four, they had to get three, they had to get two. And these are not cooperative people to get ready, by the way. You know, you walk in, there's separate shoes here. There's, it's kind of crazy. But they made it. They made it here. And why did they make it here? They want their children to know the Lord. And they want to grow in the Lord. And they need to worship and be with you and be with God's people and be edified by the body. And that's why we need to look at these women and we need to say, oh, Lord, how can we help them? And that's why, honestly, and I'll make the appeal every day if I have to. That's why it's important for us to have a nursery. Give these dear mothers one hour where they know their child is safe and they can focus on the Lord. I know I've seen these mothers in the trenches. I've seen my wife in the trenches back then. These women do not have time to have devotions. They do not have a quiet moment before God. And when they do have a quiet moment, they fall asleep. They're exhausted. They can't think straight. And we have an opportunity to minister to these dear mothers, who, by the way, are doing one of the most important jobs society could ever assign anybody, and that is nurture human beings. Nurture human beings. We have a bunch of young children running around this church right now, a whole bunch of young children, little, little, little ones, bigger, 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 bigger ones, some taller than me, and yet they're still, you know, high school, much younger than me. And they need Christ. They need Christ. We need to evangelize them and teach them and nurture them. You know, there are parents here, and you parents, I want to encourage you, you're doing the right thing. I know there's cynics out there, and they'll always say this, but you don't listen to them. The cynics who say, I was brought up in church. Every time the church doors were open, I was there. Well, you know what? For every one of those cynics that the media likes to highlight, I guarantee you there's thousands of others who said, every time the church doors was open and I was there, and I thank God. I thank God for what it did in my life. I thank God for the truth that it gave me. I thank God that I met God. I thank God for the people that I met around me. I literally thank God for the church. And dear ones, we have them right here. They're running all around. They're bumping into us. They're all over the place here. Which of us have a heart for them? Why do we have a hard time finding Sunday school teachers? Which of us have a heart for them? Have a heart that they would come to Christ. Have a heart that that generation would be saved. Have a heart that they're experienced there. I, I can ask for a show of hands, and I know there are many people in this room whose lives were dramatically affected for good because of Sunday school teachers and youth group leaders. And dear ones, we can have a ministry like that. So my final question is this. How can this synergism be short-circuited? How can it be short-circuited? Well, I'm going to give you four. Number one. If you grow but don't give, if you grow but don't give, 
If you sit here in this church and you just take in and you take in and you take in, there's a great teaching, preaching ministry of this church. I grow. The Sunday school classes are great. I grow. This is a great. I'm growing, I'm growing, I'm growing, I'm growing, I'm growing until you're 450 pounds just sitting there, spiritual fat, doing nothing. That's one of the ways that the body can be short-circuited. If my body right now, my liver, my, my spleen or something began to grow enormously, began to grow enormously, so that it wasn't giving out anything it was supposed to giving out. It was just taking in. My entire body would be affected. One of the ways is if you just come here to grow, but you don't give. You're an enlarged organ in the body of Christ, and you're robbing the church. Secondly, if you don't connect, you disconnect. There's a, there's a, a restaurant in California's rest, popular restaurant called In-N-Out Burger. You're an In-N-Out Burger. You're an In-N-Out Christian. You're an In-N-Out Christian. You come in here. You come in here just as the singing starts and you get out of here while the, while the uh, uh, benediction is being spoken. You're an in and out. And that disconnects. You're disconnected. We, we, we can't, you're not working. It's like a doctor, you know, hitting my elbow with one of them hammers and nothing happens. Oh, your nervous system is not working in here. It's, it's disconnected. Number three, another way this will disconnect, if you say, I am so needy, I'm exempt from serving others. I am so needy. Oh, I am so needy. I am so fragile. I have so many needs. I have been so hurt in the past. I am so broken. I am just so needy. I've come here for the purpose of everybody ministering to me. I am just so needy. And dear friends, that short circuits the body. No. You've been brought here for a reason. You've been brought here with gifts. And guess what? Guess what? If you begin looking away from yourself and looking to the needs of others and start serving others, you are actually going to find your own personally are being healed as well. And then, like this, let me say the fourth one. And this is huge. I'm fragile. I'm out of here. I'm fragile. I'm out of here. What is this? And I just want to put you all on notice right now. We are living in a culture that is so fragile that if you say the one false word, one wrong word to somebody, you didn't even mean it, they'll cut you off. I, I've, I've heard parents, I've had parents say, I just had one say this week. I decided not to get the vaccine for COVID. My kid didn't talk to me for six months. We just cut people off. You're a Democrat, boom. You're a Republican, boom. You don't agree with me on immigration, boom. You said what? Boom. So-and-so said, no, they didn't. Well, I, boom. I'll tell you what. People in this culture are so, we have been, we, and I don't know what it is. I think it was my generation screwed everybody up because we, we're, we're the ones, you know, we always blame the millennials. We did this, guys. We boomers did this. We raised, we didn't raise, my generation did not raise our kids well. And now they're raising kids. But Satan loves this. Satan, all he has to do is just push a little button here in the church. Oh, I'm leaving the church. Push a little button here. Oh, I'm going to go find another church. Push a button here. Oh, rah, 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 rah. I'm fragile and I'm out of here. You can't have a body like that, dear ones. We need to grow in grace. We need to grow clear to near Christ. We need to draw near to Christ. We need to be Christ. We need to, 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 to experience him and, and all that he is and all that he has done for us. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, then serve one another, live for one another, advance his kingdom, be a part, do our part, and be that kind of body of believers. 
When I got out of my car yesterday and I looked at those 20 men there, I praise God. Look at these servant hearts. Look at what God is doing in our midst. What a wonderful thing. Glory to God. Dear ones, what is your part in the body? Where do you fit in the body? Think about that. And think about it as we just now share the meal of the body of believers. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, please, we pray, build in this generation, at this moment, in this backwater little community that we live in, build something glorious to your holy and precious name. And Father, I pray that you will do this in every little village and in every urban area and every neighborhood. You will build up these amazing things called the church, the body of Christ. Father, thank you for this body. Thank you for how many people I can thank you personally, of how many people minister to me in this place weekly. Father, thank you for a body such as this. Grow us, we pray. Grow us. Edify us, we ask. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.